the Clixie podcast with Tim Flagg. Insight, opinion and advice from the leading practitioners in digital marketing and e-commerce. Um, some estimates would put total ad blocking worldwide at 600 million. That is a huge statement of consumer dissatisfaction, maybe the biggest in history. This is the Click Z Digital Marketing Podcast, and I'm joined by Ben Williams, the Communications and Operations Manager from Adblock Plus, the world's most popular ad blocker. We'll be getting his perspective on the future of online advertising and find out how and why Adblock Plus has become so popular. We'll also be hearing where the areas of growth are and how Adblock Plus is aiming to work with publishers and advertisers to find a common ground. So I'm delighted to be joined by Ben from IO, better known across the world for Adblock Plus. Um, Ben grew up in the small town of Moorhead, Kentucky, and before starting at Cologne-based IO GmbH in July of 2013, he worked at the German Embassy in Washington, D.C. Prior to that, he worked mainly in non-profit organizations. IO makes the world's most popular browser extension, Adblock Plus, which has been downloaded over 500 million times and in late 2011 began its acceptable ads initiative to try and broker a compromise in the often contentious relationship between marketers and ad blockers. He has been instrumental in spreading that message to a larger audience since he began in 2013. Other than that, he collects records and cassettes, writes, reads and claims to occasionally exercise. Ben is 36, lives in Bonn in Germany, and I'm really excited to hear some of those insights from Adblock Plus, who's been really pioneering this space and often causing quite a bit of controversy. So I'm sure we're going to get into that later. But right now, I'd like to welcome Ben. Ben, welcome. Thank you, Tim. And it would be great if you could maybe just start off telling us a little bit more about you. Um, I talked a little bit about your background then, but could you tell us how you got started in this industry and how you came to end up at IO? Sure, uh, it's actually kind of accidental. Um, I uh, used to be involved in uh, sort of international affairs, uh, things like that, and lived in Washington, D.C., worked in nonprofits and things like uh, of that nature. And then um, I got tired of wearing a suit to work in a capital city uh, that was built upon a swamp, uh, Washington, D.C. It gets, gets hot. Um, so. Uh, I uh, decided I wanted to switch gears and go into startups, and I actually uh, previously worked at another startup here in the Rhineland region in Bonn called Do, um, D-O-O, and that does not exist anymore. But um, after uh, after that sort of shuttered its doors, uh, I wanted to move on to something a bit more controversial, and I just got a random call from the founder of IO, uh, Till Fida. And uh, we decided that it would be a good idea um, to start working together. Um, what I really dig about uh, IO is the fact that we're making a product that's truly disruptive. And um, it really calls upon, I guess, my background in sort of the somewhat contentious world of, of politics, or one that can be. 
and also the sort of cutting edge uh, world of startups. It's a nice little mashup. That's quite an interesting background you have there from, from politics and into the controversial world of ad blockers. Do you think that's that sort of background being able to campaign uh, and really sort of understand what people's needs are has been part of what you've been doing now at, um, at IO? I think it is for everybody here. Uh, we all, uh, are, we have a very close relationship with our users, uh, we always have. And part of that is, is understanding that uh, a lot of those users are very upset or um, un- dissatisfied with the way that the web is, is working. And that's why they download an ad blocker in the first place. So yeah, um, getting into that mind frame of, of uh, you know, serving that audience, I think it takes a certain type of personality. So I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm really unique in that here, actually. I think most everyone here, they want to, they kind of have to get uh, into, uh, you know, sometimes discussions that aren't so comfortable, sometimes uh, a few disagreements, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of what you have to, to do if you work at a company like this. What would you say have been the biggest changes that you've witnessed during your career at IO and at Adblock Plus? Well, and it's certainly not attributable to me, I'm sure, but, uh, but we have definitely grown significantly. Uh, since uh, I started working there, and I just when I say we, I mean ad blocking in general. Uh, but at at IO uh, for AdBlock Plus alone, we've been averaging nine to ten million downloads per month since uh, sometime around mid uh, 2013, and right now we're at 100 million devices. So that kind of of weight will get you a lot of attention. So, you know, I guess the first thing I've noticed is the fact that we're growing. The second thing is the notoriety that we're getting. And uh, that, that notoriety isn't just based upon, upon the, the size. I think it's also based upon what we do uh, and the sort of middle ground we try to pave with acceptable ads, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Yeah, but, but for now, um, it's that, that's the biggest thing, just the, the, the explosion of ad blocking from a, a, a sort of a niche thing that I think you know, was, was something in tech circles that was really popular into something that's becoming mainstream. And what have been the milestones in that sort of growth? I remember, I think it was about March last year when Apple brought out, they changed the iOS platform and it meant that ad blockers could then get a lot more traction on mobile. But what other milestones have there been over the last couple of years that have really um, led to that takeoff of ad blocker installation? Well, I think, I think actually the first one is before I started. When we started doing acceptable ads, uh, it didn't get a lot of attention at first. Um, and then by, by I guess, somewhere in, in 2013, this sort of controversial program uh, began to get a lot more attention. And I mean, let's say it's just an interesting thing to talk about. So that actually lent, I think, to our growing uh, notoriety. Um, after that, I think the next one, you're, you hit the nail right on the head. It's uh, Apple's announcement that they would allow ad blockers into iOS. That sort of opened it up into the U.S. market and the U.S media machines started to pay attention to us. And let me tell you, when they cast their light upon you, it's pretty damn bright. Um, and that has caused a lot of people uh, in the United States ads industry to either rush to our defense as innovators or you know, rush to uh, sort of, um, I would say, misrepresent what we do. Uh, and, and that just, this, all of these things just sort of cause a lot of buzz around ad blocking. But the, the one, 
the one thing that stayed consistent that has nothing to do with a certain date has been just the fact that we have this consistent download rate mm. and the fact that we have a lot of users who um, apparently are, are very happy with, with, uh, with what they're getting. So we're going to be digging into some of those users in a minute. I'm really keen to understand where you think those users are coming from, what their motivations are. But just to, to frame what we're going to be discussing, could you tell us a little bit more specifically about what it is that you do at Adblock Plus? I'm sure it's evolved over time, but if you could just, in a nutshell, tell us a bit more. It's hard. I think, I think the main thing that I would do uh, is, is, I guess, represent the company um, outside, sort of be a... Um, I hate using this word, but um, to be like a disciple or a, uh, the person who's sort of pounding the pavement for the, the cause of, of ad blocking. Um, but we're a small company, so um, my, my title is of operations and communications. Uh, so I do a lot in-house. Uh, but there's like 20 other different things that I do because even though we're up to 70 people now, Everybody has to wear a lot of hats at a company like this because we still are, you know, we still have way too much to do, uh, and that requires, you know, sort of a, a, an all hands on deck approach. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty generalized and terrible answer, Tim. I apologize because I basically just said everything, but but if, if you could if you could uh, drill it down to two things, it would probably be. You know, um, uh, being a representative for this idea of ad blocking, this this controversial idea, and and then uh, just uh, you know making sure things you know stay on the up and up on the on the home front. No, I think that's a fairly good insight into a any startup, I suppose, but in particular a, a fast growth startup like IO, where now you you know five or six years into your growth and things are sort of really taking off all around the world. I, I kind of expected that your role would be multi-varied like that. So thanks, Ben. That's been really good to understand a little bit about the context, about how you got into IO and how the company has evolved over the last couple of years. We, we sort of got into talking about the major reasons why consumers are turning to ad blockers, but I wondered whether we could just drill into that a little bit more now. What do you think are the main needs that you are satisfying and how will those change over the next few years? I think that we're going to see um, a shift in North America and Europe to more mobile users. And mobile users have uh, slightly different concerns than desktop users, which has been sort of our bread and butter all these years. Mobile users are very uh, concerned with uh, page load speed and also the amount of data that an ad is taking up because every ad that you you see is, is taking up a certain amount of data and on your mobile plan that's not always unlimited data so you're paying for that but the classical reason the the big reason that most people download an ad blocker is just because of the 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 uh, annoyance factor intrusiveness factor uh, if you want to phrase it in a uh, perhaps a more diplomatic way to say the the, the web experience uh, factor because they just feel like that advertising is playing too large a role in that experience and sometimes even go so far as to intrude upon uh, you know what they're really going to a website to do which is generally to consume the content and so I, I think that you know under that you see you know, the we, we did a study recently, and we asked people what are what are the most annoying types of ads. And this is like studies we've done in the past. It always comes back pre-roll videos, videos that play that is before you watch what you uh, the video you came there to see. Uh, 
uh, pop-up ads, interstitials, things like that. Um, and so I think, I think the annoyance factor is still the king uh, or the queen. And then after uh, that, you have uh, concerns about security. Oftentimes, uh, ads will be laden with malware. They, uh, the industry speak for that is malvertising. Um, and then there, there's, uh, there's uh, privacy. Uh, ad blockers don't usually automatically protect your privacy out of the box. They do a bit, but you can always add other features onto ad blockers really easily. Like with AdBlock Plus, it's just a, a feature called Easy Privacy. You add that, and then you're blocking tracking online. Uh, so I think, I think there's a, you know, a range of issues. Again, we still have the, the, the main one being that, that experience factor that user experience factor, and um, then, of course, you know, I think mobile is changing that somewhat. Yeah, I was looking at some IAB figures, and I think it was saying like 73% of people in the survey that they did said it was about interruption, um, that it was just, you know, people going onto the web, that they're going on there with a specific um, objective, and then suddenly all these ads popping up and, and really sort of distracting them. Do you think it's about the relevance of the ad though i've often seen over the last couple of months advertisers talking about the problem of ad blockers and they're saying things like well it's our fault we've created this because these ads that we've we've made and we're putting out there are one not very good and two not very relevant so do you think if they were actually able to make the ads more relevant that would be um that would solve some of this consumer need that's a really tough one because relevancy usually has the 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 is is for in the ads industry i'll say is a fairly loaded term because it normally means more tracking behind the ad, and and there are you know there's a big split as to whether tracking from third parties is actually something that provides value, or something that just creeps people out. Yeah, I think that it can provide value if it's done in a transparent way. Part of the but part of the way that the ad industry didn't do you know the greatest job in the world. Part of the way that you know in their words they messed up is that they packed ads with way too much data and didn't tell people they were doing it. So now as people are discovering the fact that an ad is actually trying to figure out you know, whether they have a mortgage or not and whether they're a male or a female and you know, where they live, it rightfully creeps them out a little bit. And so I, I think that that, that that relevancy factor um, can be achieved through uh, two things. It can be achieved basically through context and through tracking that's done with the user's consent. If users are okay, are okay with tracking and if it's done in a very transparent way, I think it's okay. Sorry, are you seeing any people who actually are, are doing that at the moment where they're, they're asking the users for their consent to be able to do that tracking? Uh, there's a whole other body of people who say you don't even need that. You just need the ad to be relevant and you can get enough relevancy yeah. by context. And they're, and they're saying, okay, well, if you're reading a, you know, an outdoors magazine, there's a good chance that you might be interested in buying a tent or a fishing pole. That's not rocket science. We don't have to know where you live to know that. And, and, and this, this, this argument hasn't really been resolved yet. Um, so yeah, it, it's ongoing. I, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's again, you have to have user consent um, to do tracking and you have to get it right. And we're in a corrective mode right now. And then on the other hand, um, you need to make 
adds more contextually relevant. So it's quite an interesting um, historical analysis, and by historical, probably only going back 100, 150 years, to look at the way that publishing has evolved. Um, when I was speaking to Future uh, a couple of weeks ago, one of the um, main publishers here in the UK, they were telling me about um, the challenges they face as a publisher. And I was thinking back to the, sort of the days of print when you'd have a, a print magazine or newspaper and you'd print it and you'd advertisers would come to you to buy an ad to advertise to the, the customers. And that you, as a publisher, you saw those that audience very much as your audience. We've taken that model um, and put it online and because that's all we had when we started selling advertising space on websites. But it still has that fundamental assumption that the audience belongs to the publisher. And it's almost that which is being disrupted by models like yours, where you're saying, well, the user doesn't want to be owned, doesn't think they are owned by the publisher. They want to take back control. Do you think there's a new model which is coming, which will replace that that sort of very old fashioned model of publishing? Yeah, I, I think I think that you know the old model of advertising was very simple, um, as you as you describe. There was a publisher, there was an advertiser. Uh, now there are huge. There's a huge network um, of interconnected services between the publisher and the advertiser, and it's completely difficult to understand. Um, and it's not exactly all that. <laughs> for lack of a better term, super interesting. So that makes it even more difficult to, to understand how this web works. But, but I think that um, to, to break it down into really simple terms, I think that we are getting to the point where there are two different ecosystems. And the first ecosystem would be the people who do not use ad blockers. And I believe that will probably be the majority of users in the future. But then we have the other 20 to 30% perhaps of users who are going to use ad blockers, who have opted out of traditional ads. And, and for those users, I think that the future will mean reaching them in a different way, in a way that's, that's special because they clearly are, um, they have different expectations than the first ecosystem. That's interesting you say that... Um as I understand you, you're saying that you think there's only going to be about 25-30% of people who use ad blockers and, and that's not going to change in the future. Is, do you mean that you think you could have reached a plateau? I, I don't know if we've reached a plateau everywhere. Um, the, this is just, you know, in, in some countries where we've had very, where, and, I, and I, this is not just ABP Adblock Plus, these are total ad blocking numbers. But if you look, for instance, at Poland, uh, where ad blocking use has always been high, uh, you, you've been hovering between anywhere from you know estimates of 26 to 31 percent for years now, and 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 it's really stated about that level. Um, it could, of course, increase, but I don't think that it's going to reach like a saturation point. And um, but but you know, regardless of whether it does or whether it doesn't, I think that it presents two different ways of reaching people, and we have to do that on the user's own terms. So, you know, you have the probably what will stay the majority of people who don't use ad blockers. And since they haven't expressly gone and downloaded an ad blocker, then we can reach them in more traditional ways. But for the other however many percent, I think reaching them on their own terms is, um, is absolutely uh, necessary. And so leading into what specific areas you, you still see as opportunities for growth, you've mentioned um, different countries, and that makes sense. So, you know, there's, a, there's a big wide world out there that hasn't yet started to engage with our blockers. But also are there specific 
demographics. I remember, again, talking to Future as a publisher, they have a number of gaming titles aimed towards specific demographics. And they were saying that amongst gaming titles, it's something like 70, 80% are using ad blockers there. So do you see other demographics that you're, you're targeting at the moment? Well, I mean, we don't really actively target any demographics. Uh, you know, being an ad blocker, our marketing budget is pretty low. Um, but, uh, you know, we we do tend to appeal, or ad blocking does tend to appeal to a certain demographic. Um, all the studies that have been done always point to people who are fairly young, anywhere from 18 to, say, 45, uh, we'll say, and uh, people who are tech savvy, people who are usually college educated, and it tips a little bit more toward the male side than the female side. And uh, that sounds like what I would imagine a gamer might be. <laughs> so so there are, that just is, is sort of accidental, but yeah, I, I think that that's typically your user. What we've seen though, and I think the reason that that, that can't be a huge amount of users and we wouldn't be getting the amount of attention we're getting. We wouldn't have a hundred million active devices if there weren't a lot of uh, people who don't fit that demographic using Adblock Plus. And uh, so, you know, we, we did a, a study recently and, and uh, you know, the, the, the um, side, both, si uh, both groups on the other side of that age, age group, uh, they were also growing and they were close to where, you know, the sort of you know sweet zone I guess is for for marketers between 18 and 35. Uh, those on the on the north side of that and the south side were also uh, pretty high. So so you know I, I think that that the the demographic for uh, your typical ad blocking uh, ad blocker is actually expanding. And before you were mentioning some of the reasons why people use ad blockers, we talked about things like um, security and tracking and taking back control and irrelevant ads that kind of stuff. Do you see that changing by age? I mean, could you say that maybe the the millennials are more interested in in stopping the irrelevant ads, whereas people who are who are maybe sort of, um, in an older demographic are more interested in security and stopping tracking? Do you see that sort of pattern emerging? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Um, for instance, uh, in our uh, in a study, another study we recently did, we asked people if uh, they were would potentially whitelist certain websites if the websites you know had ads that they were okay with and by whitelist uh, i just mean go into their ad blocker settings and turn off the ad blocker deactivating it for a particular site and what we found is that younger ad blocking users are also more likely to whitelist websites there was there was a big skew to people who were 24 and under and 25 to 34 who said that they would they would and they actively do uh, whitelist sites. So I do think I do think that they they look at the web uh, in a little different way. Uh, this also opens up the the possibility for users to fund sites in in other ways. We we as as part of that same study, we talked to people about how likely they would be to actually uh, fund uh, sites uh, or fund uh, fund sites or fund content that they liked. And again, it was skewed more toward the younger uh, users who said, yeah, they would be willing to do that. And that brings us very nicely on to a couple of the innovations which I know you guys have been working on. Flatter Plus, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, and um, and the sort of acceptable ads initiative. I think so. probably follow straight into Flatter Plus, which is very much working, as I understand it, to create a, a platform for users to be able to make micropayments to publishers' sites that they want to support. Could you kind of explain a little bit more about how that joint venture came about and, and where you're currently at with that? Well, 
One of the reasons that I joined Adblock Plus and one of the reasons that several of us did is because we didn't want to stop with blocking ads and providing a way for publishers to get to um, to still monetize Adblock users, in other words, acceptable ads. We didn't think that was the complete picture. And uh, we've been talking for years about how do we do this? How do we provide a way for people to fund content that actually works with the way that people use the web? Because the problem with a lot of quote-unquote micropayment systems is that they rely far too much on the user to initiate the payment or the user to initiate the action. People don't use the web that way, though. They just bounce around the web to wherever they want to go. And so um, we, we started to explore uh, some of the existing schemes for micropayments, and we kept coming back to this one called Flatter. And it just so happened that we had some connections uh, to uh, the people who were running Flatter, and we reached out to them. And uh, they wanted to sort of pivot away from their, their system as it was. As it, as it used to be, you had to manually hit a button that would, that would flatter a site. And uh, they started working with us, and we started to sort of brainstorm what would be a better solution. And to, you know, to put it in a nutshell, uh, you know, we came up with Flatter Plus, and the, the idea behind Flatter Plus was that if you made an algorithm that was smart enough to, to basically give people, to, to take people's money that they wanted to contribute to sites and then apportion that automatically based upon how they engage with those sites, um, then it would actually work in a manner that was consistent with people with the way that people actually use the web. Hmm. And that's the mission of Flatter Plus. So thank you for taking us through this, so the background here. That does sound like it's a, a, a very sensible initiative and one which I'm sure publishers are, are very uh, grateful for you know, trying to find out that new way of um, making that model work. Can we talk about white listing, as I think you've called it before, the acceptable ads initiative? One of the big challenges and, and probably areas of controversy, I think, is, has been maybe from publishers. And, and I know there have been quite high profile um, instances of publishers being a little bit upset about um, Adblock Plus. But this is certainly now a way that allows you to work with certain um, certain advertisers. Is this a compromise? Is, is this, um, or how far are you into developing this, this concept as, as a new way of working with publishers and advertisers? Well, uh, Flutter Plus is just getting off the ground, but as opposed to that, the Acceptable Ads Initiative has been around since 2011. Um, and it, it sprang from, I guess, what you could call the, the original mistake of ads beginning, being more you know, too annoying, and then the the second mistake of ad blocking being a black and white exercise. Yeah. And uh, basi- basically, uh, that we de- we decided that sort of complete ad blocking wasn't the best thing. Blocking all the things is not the best answer, in other words. So we we uh, and back then I say we it was really just one guy. It was the original developer. He sought a way to, um, at, on the one hand, be able to uh, let publishers uh, continue to monetize, even ad-blocking users, but also on their, sa- their own terms. And then, and then also he sought a way uh, to monetize a growing company that was, 
you know, uh, disrupting the industry already, and and he could clearly see that he may need a little budget for further development, but also for things like lawsuits, which has proven to be the truth. <laughs> the truth. So so anyway, he 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 tried several things. He he tried to, for lack of a better term, guilt people into whitelisting sites they visited most often. Our users hated that. And so we eventually came to acceptable ads. And the idea behind acceptable ads is simply that if you have an ad as a publisher that will that meets a certain uh, user-generated criteria, then that ad can be shown to adblock users by default. And you know, I, I you know that really is a whole can of worms. So I'll, I'll I'll cut it short right there. But the essentially. We've been running that for the last couple of years, and it's been very successful. And we're trying to find ways now to improve that. It's, it's good to to understand a bit more about what the Acceptable Ads Initiative is, because I've heard, well, I've read in in some articles, probably from advertisers, them saying, "Well, you know, there's a little bit of a monopolization almost going on here, and that you guys are able to um, control the ads which are going out on the platform, but." If you if you're an advertiser and you want to get into that, then you can get into it, but you have to pay. What, what would you say to to people who are maybe sort of critical of your monopolization of the of the platform? Well, I mean, they 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 ignore the fact, uh, purposefully or no, I, I'm not sure <laughs> that that only 10% of the companies that go through the acceptable ads process pay. The other 90% are there for free. Um, and they also, uh, I, I think, perhaps forget that those companies who do pay are only paying um, for the uplift in value that's created through the program. And they, they, the reason we decide that some companies pay and some don't is because the bigger companies require a lot more work, a lot more maintenance, and a lot more upkeep. So, so um, you know, uh, the important thing to remember is that the criteria for what is a better ad and, and what can go through the Acceptable Ads initiative and what ultimately gets whitelisted, those criteria cannot be bypassed by money. Those criteria are the same for everyone. Great. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the key point to, to understand there is that you set these criteria and irrespective of how much money they're paying, they still need to meet those. So we're talking a little bit now about the publishers and the advertisers. Could you sort of maybe shine a light on what you think are the key developments that publishers are facing at the moment and and are you working with them to try and find um, new new initiatives collaboratively are are there compromises to be found in the future absolutely Uh, we've been you know trying to sort of build a bridge between publishers and users throughout the time we've been doing the acceptable ads initiative that's that's precisely the idea um, and you know that that has evolved. As as I said, it's it's not a uh, acceptable ads is not standing still. In fact, uh, we are in the process of giving up control of what constitutes acceptable and what um, to an independent committee. And we uh, we have been working on that feverishly this year, and it's been really difficult because it's a tough process, but we think that by the end of this year, we're going to meet our deadline and have the first meeting of that committee toward the end of that year. So what that will do is it makes the the criteria for acceptable ads in the whole process completely transparent, and it makes it completely independent, which means that other ad blockers can adopt it. 
Uh, but it also means that, that publishers and advertisers will have to sit on that committee. They will be able to decide uh, what is acceptable in the future. The second, the second thing, the second way we're making it easier is, is uh, through technological uh, innovations. I, I can't talk about that quite yet. It's, it's uh, uh, something that we're going to announce, I think, in two weeks or so. But we're going to make it a lot easier for publishers to uh, whitelist their ads. This used to be a process that could sometimes take weeks, and we want to cr- uh, cut that down to um, even you know, 30 seconds. That sounds great. And I, and I really like the idea of the independent committee you're, you're talking about there bringing together, by the sounds of it, publishers and advertisers and other representatives from those industries to be able to establish almost like a common standard that can then be used for, for all ad blockers. That sounds like a very good scheme. How are you ensuring that you're bringing in advertisers and publishers? Are you working with trade bodies? Is it something that if an advertiser or publisher is listening to this and they want to get involved in that because it's hurting their their revenues, they can they can reach out to you? What's the best way? Well, uh, my email address, uh, ben at adblockplus.org. <laughs> just just shoot me an email. You must have a massive inbox of, of emails from people <laughs> all asking for a piece of your time to, to work with you on this. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've really promoted it as much as we could. We actually held a meeting in London. Uh, uh, way, it was way back toward the beginning of the year, actually. Uh, and we held sort of a, a, a twin of that meeting in, in New York where we, we brought together uh, publishers and uh, advocates and university professors. And we said, you know, how should we do this, basically? <laughs> because we, we just admitted, well, we've never really formed a committee before, so, uh, you know, we need your insight. And, and they were, they were great, uh, gracious enough to, to come and to provide us with some very valuable insight. And so, so um, what you know? We, I think we've gotten the word out there within the industry, uh, and uh, then uh, I think that it's now on us since we've sort of put in the uh, backbone of it. That's what we've been working on these these last months to go out and recruit people to be on uh, the committee. So, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, please do just shoot us an email. Um, we want to have you on this committee. If you're a publisher, advertiser in ad tech. Also, however, if you are more on the sort of user-facing side, if you work at a nonprofit that's concerned with uh, digital rights, for instance, or if you are a professor or uh, just a privacy advocate, for instance, uh, we want to have people like that on the committee too. Well, thanks very much for sharing your email address. I hope you don't get too swamped, but in, a, in the same way, I, I hope you do get a lot of very useful uh, contacts onto that committee because it will help the whole, uh, the whole industry to progress. Just... Zooming in a little bit to advertisers, we've talked about publishers before, but from an advertiser perspective, is there something which advertisers should be doing more of either to engage with you at Adblock Plus or generally that they should be doing to enhance their ads, make their ads better so the user experience is better? Is there something they should be doing? Well, what, what we found with, with acceptable ads is that users are typically okay with ads if the ads are honest with them. And if the ads uh, do not, uh, you know, sort of force themselves upon them. And, and when I say honest, I just mean labeling the ad as an ad. What we've seen recently is a sort of a trend to uh, things like native advertising and, and blurring that line between, uh, you know, what looks like an ad and what looks like editorial. I think, I think uh, people just need to realize that uh, advertisers uh, need to, to understand that when they enter someone's screen, they really enter what most users consider their sovereign personal space. 
but users are very much, even ad blocking users are very much interested in interacting with the brands that they like, so long as they can do that on, on terms that are okay with them. And generally what we found again to be those terms is, you know, be honest with us about being an ad and, um, you know, don't overtake my screen. And, and then, you know, maybe provide me with something interesting. I think that there are some very interesting things that brands are doing to engage people beyond the, the, the mere viewing or the click of an ad. Because uh, ultimately, if you're a brand, you want people to think about you not just when they, you know, when you appear on the screen, but afterwards. And that's only really accomplished if if you can create sort of a, a larger campaign that uh, that engages people in, in 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 potentially several steps. Interesting to hear you talk about the the way in which users are, are engaging. Have you come across uh, organizations like Kip and Dataku? They're sort of rewarding users for. Uh, engaging with advertising and also a different type of, of company brave uh, which is the ex mozilla guys now putting together a, a browser a lot of it's focused on speed and security but it also is as i understand it ad blocking as well do you do you think those models have a potential and are they competitors for you or are you working collaboratively with them we don't really see them as competitors uh in in the ad blocking um realm it's 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 not really that competitive of a place. We've seen a lot of different approaches to giving users control of their internet experience, and we're just trying to respond to you know what users are telling us. And so far, I I, I like the idea of uh, the traditional ad blocking approach of being in the browser. This is backed up by the fact that you know even though there are a lot more mobile ad blocking users in Asia. For instance, uh, according to uh, a report by the uh, Dublin-based company PageFair, there are 419 million people blocking ads on their mobile devices, and the majority of those are in Asia. But they're all doing it on on ad-blocking browsers. That is, you know, not in the apps, but rather in a in a browser on their phone that that blocks ads. There are other approaches out there that are extremely interesting, but uh, I think that up to this point, people have been very comfortable, whether it's on their small screen or on their big screen, to be able to install an ad blocker onto the browser or have a browser that blocks ads out of the box. Yeah. I'd really like to ask you about Facebook. I hope it's not too much of a contentious issue. I know reading the press over the last couple of weeks has been fascinating um, to see. First of all, Facebook clearly... I think rattled by the impact that ad blockers, including ABP, are having on their share of the market and bringing in quite sort of stringent and almost unhelpful changes to their platform. I understand why they did it. But then, you know, <laughs> you guys getting into this this kind of arms race where you're also representing the users and, and so it's coming back and saying, well, hold on, here's a, here's a way we can work around it again and then go back and forth. Where do you think that's going to end up? At some point, it's going to have to end, isn't it? Uh, could. Uh, we've been, you know, we and uh, the open source community supporting ad blockers, th there have been, you know, circumvention and workaround battles that have gone on for years. So, I mean, theoretically, it could go in this endless loop. Now, no one wants it to do that because that would be terrible for users. But, yeah, I mean, these cat and mouse games are, are anything but new. And in, in our uh, 10 years of experience, uh, we've been engaged in them basically that entire time. But I think, I think what's important to remember here is that Facebook is ultimately offering users a few 
um, carrots. Uh, and then they're at the bottom of those carrots, which allow them to control their ads a little bit more, uh, control the brands they see, the types of ads they see, there's a really big stick. And that stick is the fact that they're, they're going to try to not allow them to block ads. So, you know, it's, it's user choice on the surface, but below that, it's very, very much, for lack of a better term, anti, anti-user. And, and so, you know, I, I think that it's very clear that users want choice. There's 100 million users um, of just Adblock Plus alone. Um, some estimates would put total ad blocking worldwide at 600 million. That is a huge statement of consumer dissatisfaction, maybe the biggest in history. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't think of another time where so many consumers have said, we aren't happy with the status quo. And so, you know, I, to me, this action goes against that grain. Mm. Um, but 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 uh, to get back to your, to your original question, yeah, I, I think that uh, this could go on for quite a bit. Uh, we uh, and I are certainly not going to give up. Uh, and then um, the open source community, I, I don't think will either. That's great. Well, thank you for the insight there, and uh, good luck with your ongoing uh, cat and mouse games. There, uh, be interesting to, to follow <laughs> up and see where that goes. Just to sort of find out a little bit more then about what IO have got planned for the future. Could you maybe sort of give us a little bit of an understanding of where the revenue comes from in the business at the moment? Is it all coming from the the ads, the acceptable ads initiative, or are there other sources of revenues? And what are you looking to develop in the future? To there's obviously costs. You mentioned legal costs, and there's obviously staff costs as you grow as well. So how are you able to grow? The main the main revenue model for us right now is acceptable ads, and uh, you know that's that's providing us with uh, enough revenue at the moment to you know stay in the black um, but it's also providing us enough revenue to you know fight the legal battles that that uh, we've had and we've we've had six different very very large publishers in Germany uh, sue us and and thankfully uh, ad blocking has been proven legal in every one of those occasions but those are nonetheless very costly um, and uh, you know if, if you if you uh, look at that as a whole you know, other ad blockers may not have the the underlying infrastructure to do that, but when these companies are suing IO, they're really suing every ad blocker, and so so that's part of the reason that you know we thought we have to have a solid revenue model is because you know we kind of want to fight this fight for everybody um, else too, and of course there's development costs. We we put a lot of um, of uh, impetus on the user experience. And that's why if, if you're familiar with different ad blockers, you'll know that we are the one who um, always tests and tests and tests before we implement software just because we want to preserve that really great user experience. That's kind of our, you know, in the, in the ad blocker world, that's kind of our, our reputation. And so, so we do uh, need that solid revenue base um, but we are developing a lot of, uh, a lot of models or a lot of uh, products right now uh, that that sort of are along the same lines, um, but then we're also developing like for instance AdBlock browser, uh, which you can get for Android and iOS. Uh, this is this is in the hopes that people in Europe and people in North America will uh, sort of uh, get hip to the fact that they can block ads on their mobile phone on the browsers. This is something that, as I mentioned before, people in Asia are doing in huge numbers. Uh, in addition to that development work, we're still trying to perfect the Acceptable Ads Initiative, as I mentioned before. And then, of course, I think our, our, third, um, our third priority 
that really makes our entire vision whole is providing people with a way to fund content that isn't based upon ads. And of course, that's that's in Flatter Plus. Yeah, I was, that actually nicely segues into the question I was going to ask you, which is, you know, what do you think are the major developments over the next couple of years and, and how are you positioning yourselves to be able to take advantage of those developments but i think you know everything you've outlined there really sort of shows you've got a strategy of trying a number of different routes definitely responding to the needs of the users and then trying to build on your existing base to, to get into those sectors um, so good luck with Thanks. all of those i was wondering about internet of things though is that an area where you guys are are looking at all we've got a another interview i've got in a couple of weeks with tile who are one of the you know one of the companies who are building devices now to be able to track physical objects internet of things you know you've got fitbit you've got here in the uk vitality which is from an insurance company you've got apple watches collecting a huge amount of personal data is this an area which is interesting to io is this one of the areas that you're looking to sort of get involved with over the next couple of years it could be and i, and I assume you mean like you know that we could provide something where uh, people are able to sort of block that data mining or data collection if they want to exactly yeah uh, maybe but but i think that you know when you buy a product like like Fitbit, you are conscientiously saying, I want to give Fitbit this information so that I can get more fit, right? So so I, I don't know that we'll necessarily jump into that. I think something that would be much cooler is if we could make uh, sunglasses that would sort of take out the ads and uh, take out the billboards in your everyday life. <laughs> but the technology for that may be a bit down the road. That would be very cool <laughs> if you could add blocking sunglasses. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. I'd love to think that's what you're working on in your labs department. You've got guys running around, uh, guys and girls running around with sunglasses on, which are, which are trying to test that out now. That's a great idea. And if, uh, if you haven't, well, then maybe you should. Ben, that's been awesome to talk to you about so many different aspects of what's happening in the, the ad blocking space. A lot of people who are listening to this podcast episode will be thinking that it sounds fascinating and they'll be wondering how they can get involved in it. What would you say to maybe people who are coming up through advertising agencies or working client side as a marketer, or maybe people who are just interested in getting into this industry generally, what advice would you give them? What skills do they need? Where do they need to be going and what do they need to be reading? Well, I, I think that uh, you have to understand if you're getting into the, into uh, ads right now, no matter where you're at, is that it's it's a it's kind of a revolutionary time in ads. We're in a transition period right now. Uh, there was the initial thrust into online advertising, and then that was answered by the great consumer uh, uh, reaction of, of, of dissatisfaction through ad blockers. And now we're in a position where we're trying to rectify those two, uh, those two, uh, for lack of a better term, overreactions. We're trying to make it uh, a place where users are happy. And at the end of the day, uh, publishers and advertisers are, are able to uh, monetize it as well. Because this, this, if you're going into advertising, it's not going anywhere. The problem is, is that the bad ads aren't going anywhere either. If you, if, you, if you surf the, the internet comprehensively, you're going to understand that there are lots of bad ads still out there, some of the worst customers. So I think, I think if you're getting into it, the best thing to remember is listen to users. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, there is, as I was referring to earlier, there is that ad blocking ecosystem. And those users want to have complete control over their internet experience. And I am firmly convinced that that genie is not going back into the bottle, that that user control is going to stay in their hands. Uh, so we can all uh, you know, make fantastic things together, 
but there is no doing it at the expense of the user. And I would say there's no doing it without the user on board. Yeah, great advice there as well. I think very helpful for, for anyone coming from advertising or, or marketing to, to really see what's coming up in the future. What would you advise people to do if they want to find out and, and stay in touch more with Adblock Plus? Can we follow you on Twitter? Is there a, a newsletter people should be signing up for to, to get more information? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I uh, for better or worse, I already gave my email address. So uh, that's that's out there. Uh, but no, the be- best thing to do, I think, is, you know, follow us on Twitter um, at Adblock Plus. Real simple. Um, you can follow uh, me and our CEO on Twitter as well. Uh, we don't tweet as often as we should, but our Adblock Plus account and our IO account are both uh, very well taken care of. Uh, we are in the process of setting up a couple newsletters right now. So if you're interested in that, just email us at info or press at io.com and uh, we, can, we, can, uh, we can let you know about updates for that. If you're interested in Flatter Plus, there's already a newsletter. Go to flatterplus.com and uh, become a, an early adopter of Flatter Plus. Be a beta tester because we're trying to perfect this very complicated, very awesome algorithm and we need your help so yeah flutterplus.com adblockplus.org and uh, yeah check us out on facebook and you know everywhere everywhere else you think you might find us we're probably there awesome that's a a great way of being able to stay in touch and and really sort of track the developments a lot of those things you've been mentioning coming up in the next few months i know our audience will probably be logging on and be testing some of those initiatives potentially some ad blocking sunglasses (laughs) as well but thanks again for your time you bet tim thank you very much ClickZ, the original digital business intelligence company, founded in 1997, provides best practice advice, trends, and insight from leading analysts and practitioners to a global community of more than 100,000 digital marketing and e-commerce professionals. We'll be talking to more of our experts over the next few weeks. Until then, keep up to date with ClickZ. Thank you for listening, and bye for now.